Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Jake, I'm enjoying saying Sunday night edition for now because you and I have a beer league season coming up and things may change soon. We do. Things may change. This may become a Monday podcast instead of a Sunday podcast. We'll see how things go. Beer league coming up. Sunday games. Sunday or Tuesday. First game of the season next Sunday, but it's a three o'clock game, so we should be able to pod next Sunday. Should do you want to do you want to let the people in on our on our team name for beer league? Uh, sure, you want to go for it? Sure. <laughs> why are you Why are you throwing the hot potato my way? Because I like throwing the hot potato your way. Okay, so <laughs> our beer league team name. Just you know, I'm just gonna throw people under the bus here. You know, our beer yeah. league team name this season or this season. It's gonna be this for a long time. Uh, is the Special Hockey Club because the the beer of choice for my team, our team, is Modelo. And so our logo looks like a Modelo logo. It looks really cool. It has a California logo, a California flag in it. Really cool. Really enjoy the team name. Um, I will say we had a better team name all lined up, and it was supposed to be the it, National it Treasure. The National Treasure. But the issue was it was only me, Felix, and one other person that were in on this or wanted it. And the jersey was going to be the Wild Wing crashing out of the ice jersey <laughs> with Nick Cage taking the place of Wild Wing. And instead of holding a stick, he would be holding the Declaration of Independence. Now, come on. Yeah. You, you can't tell me that's an awesome logo or an awesome jersey. I was on board. But, yeah. you know, the powers that be, the powers that be at the club voted against it. Exactly. So the team is back, though. Excited to have it all back. Um yeah, I mean, Ken Pafu, Tony, in our in our Twitch chat is agreeing. Everyone's agreeing. We've, we've got a, a good little crowd in. We've got uh, John Broadbent in here also uh, tuning in live from New Zealand. So thank you, John, for joining us here. Um, you know, we, we have a little work, work uh, little bit of work to do today because Felix is a little sad. We need to cheer him up, everybody. Montreal, he's been doing his best to basically avoid talking about this, but Montreal just lost. Yeah. Um, Montreal just lost. To Vegas yeah. in overtime in a game that Montreal was the better team in, outplayed them, did not allow a high danger chance basically all game until overtime, and somehow ended basically got hockeyed and ended up on the back end or the the losing end of the game. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you this, Felix. If Montreal plays a game like that for every game the rest of the series, they're in good shape to win. <laughs> That's what Pete DeBoer said about the way the Golden Knights played in Tonight? Game three. In game three, didn't didn't Montreal outplay Vegas in game three? Though I wasn't able to watch most. Well, of that in game, game three, the the Golden Knights definitely controlled the run of play a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like like the Canadians were about to set a record for like the lowest number of shots through a, a like couple periods, and the deserve to winometer meter on moneypuck.com ended up being about sixty something percent for Vegas at the end of it all, and that was with the Canadians winning. So. <clears throat> It's a weird series. I mean, the 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 way the teams are playing seems to be really trading off game game in and game out. And Vegas deciding today to play Robin Leonard instead of Mark Andre Fleury worked out for them. Yeah, did not, I mean, did not they, see that he, one coming. He played a fantastic game. I mean, had some really big saves. I mean, obviously, I think the the biggest save of the game would come would be the the breakaway stop on Cole Caulfield that would have made the game two nothing and essentially shut the door on Vegas. So, I mean, big save for him. Honestly, really fun series though. I think so far, one that is much closer than I think a lot of uh, neutral uh, fans may have expected. 
Um, I think I was on board with you saying this was going to be a much closer series than a lot of people uh, had thought it was going to be, basically. And it's been a fun series. I mean, the only downside is I think we were all spoiled a bit by how good Vegas Colorado was because of just the play style of those two teams. Yeah. So if you want to talk about any sort of letdown, it's the fact I, the play hasn't really lived up to that series. That's yeah. not necessarily a slight at Montreal because it's just well, the way no the, one else is Colorado. No one else is Colorado and Montreal is not set up to win in the same way that Colorado was set up to win. Montreal has a big defense and they rely on that defense to really keep guys out of the front of the net, which is how Vegas ended up um yeah based, not not having any front net shots basically all but game. except for the game winning goal tonight true <laughs> true but are you gonna i mean it's one one shot versus the entirety of the game are you gonna basically overlook yeah, I, everything that happened i mean the, the canadians are playing as well as they possibly can yes and they're and they're getting results and carry price is playing well but they're getting contributions from the entire lineup and i had canadians in seven admittedly some bias there maybe maybe just a little bias maybe a, a, a splash of bias but they're they're proving me to be not crazy by saying that because and i said this before the series the way that the golden knights play is less of a threat to the canadians than the avalanche was mm-hmm. so okay. well and then just really briefly on the other series before you get into ducks ducks news all your questions everything like that other series, New York Islanders, Tampa Bay. Also, both series tied up 2-2 at this point in time. Yeah, and, and I think I think it's time to put more respect on the New York Islanders' names because they have been playing well. They have. They had good underlying numbers this season. They did. And I feel like we all just kind of assumed that, you know, Tampa Bay has more skill, they will win, and that is still my opinion, but I, I think that it's time to start taking the New York Islanders a lot more seriously. Yeah. Uh, than I mean, we have in the past, the series is two to two. It's a tight series. It's one where, I mean, very, if that shot at the end of the game goes in, it could be three to From one. The Ryan McDonough spinorama, the, the Ryan McDonough spinorama that ends up not, or ends up getting that, saved that off Ryan the goal Pulak. line by Ryan Pulak. Yeah, absolutely insane. But I mean, honestly, I think it's a good thing that both of these series are 2-2. Yeah, it's good for it, the league. It's good for like the entertainment value yeah, like, of the playoffs. You can maybe criticize. I've seen some people, and this is kind of what I was saying, criticize the play style that's happening in these series, and maybe it's not the best for the league to have teams that are more so built out to, gri- build a, uh, built to grind it out instead of beat you with skill at this point in time. But I think if you're going to have those types of teams in the playoffs this late, then have these series go seven because at least that gives you the drama aspect of it. Yeah. Well, also look just historically. I mean, the teams that make it far in the Stanley Cup playoffs are very good defensive teams. Like it's very rare for a team to make it far without having a very solid defensive structure, without having an ability to shut teams down and play that boring style. Um, Even the really skilled teams, even like the Detroit Red Wings of of yesteryear, they were still competent at shutting teams down. It wasn't all run and gun. So yeah, I mean, it's been fun. I got to say though, that loss tonight really hurt. It really made me question why do I why do I spend all this time watching these games just to be heartbroken? But that's that's life as a sports fan. That that's part of being a sports fan right there. But so, kind of uh, as we've now talked about the playoffs, let's get into the the little bit of Ducks news that we got. So last week uh, on the podcast, you and I were discussing the the little bit of Newell Brown. I know, kind of tidbit. We, that, we that spent came. so much time talking about Newell Brown, only we, for the Ducks to announce two assistant ho- coach hirings, and neither of them being Newell Brown. Legitimately, both of us did research on Newell Brown. Yep, like that's how far we went on it. And of course, yeah, 
the Ducks end up hiring uh, two assistant coaches, neither of which are Newell Brown. So for those of you that would have missed it, uh, the Ducks uh, named uh, Jeff Ward and uh, Mike Stuthers as the two uh, assistant coaches for the upcoming season. They did not officially fire uh, Mark Morrison and um, – why am I spacing on the Marty other Wilford. Marty Wilford. They did not officially fire them, um, but they said they will not be returning to be behind the bench. It sounds as if Wilford may have the opportunity to go back down to San Diego and be in charge of the defense uh, uh, down in San Diego like he was pre- uh, prior to coming up with the Ducks. And so, I mean, overall, what, what are your thoughts on this uh, on the whole? I mean, I have some info on Jeff Ward mainly because of looking at some of the power play opportunities that or power play uh, the power plays he ran. Cause for those that don't know, Jeff Ward prior to becoming a head coach in Calgary, he was brought into Calgary to be an assistant coach or associate head coach uh, or sorry, associate coach to run their power play. And basically had been in charge of that in every stop they had been at previously. He had been with the devils uh, prior to being with the flames had been with the uh, Bruins prior to being with the devils. Yeah. So I think there are interesting hires. There's definitely a little bit more credibility I think that's established behind the bench. Jeff Ward does have that NHL, that former NHL head coach cachet to his name. And he does have a couple of seasons where you can point to saying that the Flames had a solid power play. And I think that that's an important thing to note. Based on what we've heard, what we've read, a lot of his power plays have featured four forwards, one defenseman. And I think that that's an important trend for the Ducks to continue because even though this season they leaned more into that. There were still a lot of times where you would see two defensemen out there like Campus Lindholm on the power play just for absolutely no reason. And so I think that this is mostly a, a good hire for the Ducks. As far as Mike Stuthers, I'm a little more mixed on that one. I think that all of the commentary on him is that he's a great kind of you know locker room guy. He Guys love to play for him. And he gets the most out of guys on, on the back end and a good development guy. But this is a guy who's been mostly an AHL coach. And so mm-hmm. a lot of this does seem to be stemming from Dallas Aikens' rapport with him in the AHL. And we've we've all seen how that's worked out in terms of Dallas Aikens' roster decisions at the NHL level. And so I am a little curious to see how that works out. But I do think that there does seem to be a little more credibility now behind the bench than there was previous to these hirings. Yeah. And so kind of Jeff Ward, for those that don't know the Calgary flames, their power play this past year wasn't that fantastic. They were really kind of middle of the pack, honestly, and expected goals for right around where the ducks were. Um, uh, but he wasn't the head coach for them the entire season. They did fire him midway through the season. So I don't really have the data for when he was there and when he wasn't there to see kind of what the change was after he left and after Sutter was hired there. But prior to that, last season, the season prior, um, when he was last season, he was the associate uh, coach and then eventually stepped in to be the interim head coach for the rest of the season. And then the season prior to that, where he was associate head, associate coach, um, the power plays for Calgary were around 10th in expected goals, four per 60 kind of hovered around that range. And so I think that's a very good sign for the ducks. The kind of thing that does concern me is when he was with the devils, they were 20, the devils were in the 20th range and Bruins when he was with them, same type of thing. So not really sure if it's more so a personnel issue um, or if it's a coaching issue, there's a whole lot that can go into kind of the coaching of a power play and different things like that. Um, So we'll kind of see, I think the one thing I'll say is similar to what I said on Newell Brown last week, which is that I don't think you can get much worse than what the Ducks were doing. Yeah. 
And so I think no matter what, having a guy that's an established guy that has run a power play in the NHL before, because at the end of the day, Mark Morrison had never been an assistant head coach prior to coming to the Ducks um, in 1718. So this was, uh, this would have been his fourth season as assistant head coach uh, in the NHL or assistant. Why do I keep saying assistant head coach, assistant coach in the NHL. And so as compared to Jeff Ward, who's been an assistant coach in the NHL since 0708. So this is a guy that has a lot of experience running power plays for a long, long time with the Bruins from 0708 to 1314, the Devils from 1516 to 1718, Flames 1819 to this past season. So um, this is a guy that has been around. This kind of brings, I guess, if Bob Murray and Dallas Akins wanted to get a guy uh, that had a little bit more experience behind the bench, that's what Jeff Ward does. He has the coaching experience as a head coach now, um, granted very limited of season, about a season's worth of head coaching experience, but a lot of assistant coaching experience in the NHL. The Stuthers one is definitely a little bit more perplexing because he was an assistant coach in 10-11 for the Thrashers, uh, 2001 and 2001-2002 for the Flyers. Outside of that, um, he was an OHL and WHL head coach and AHL head coach. So this is a guy that really doesn't have a whole lot of experience. I guess prior to being with the Flyers, he was an assistant coach in the AHL also. But, I mean, in the past two decades, he's only had three years of being an assistant coach. Every other year is being a head coach. And so I'm really curious how that's going to play out and where he's kind of going to go with that. Because Defend the Nest, uh, John Broadbent in our uh, Twitch chat who follows the goals, covers the goals, has a really good blog for the goals. Go check him out. Um, basically said when he was with the Reign. So for those that don't know, Stuthers was the Ontario Reign head coach for the bat, uh, from 1516 through 1920 and also was there with the Manchester Monarchs in 1450 when they won the Calder Cup. Um, but he said Stuthers is a weird choice. He seemed like a hard ass with the, with the Ontario reign. And so, I mean, maybe that's his role with the coaching staff. If Dallas Aikens seems a bit of a player's head coach, a guy that's easy to talk to, maybe a bit of a pushover, like Bob Murray seems to think maybe Stuthers is brought in to be the hard guy for him. Maybe that's the role that he assumes, but I don't really think we really know what Stuthers is as an assistant coach. Cause it's been a decade since he's done it. And I, yeah. so it, I think it's a big question mark on, on the on the Ducks bench now. I mean, I think overall, I think these are improvements. I think we've seen that. I mean, maybe Marty Wilford, um, you could maybe kind of key in on him and say, well, maybe Wilford was successful with specifically Cam Fowler because I think under Wilford, Cam Fowler's game really flourished. Um, but maybe but, some of the other guys took, and Manson both took, step, took steps back. So yeah. maybe there's something there. So maybe Southers comes in to really kind of get more out of those guys. If they're still here, that's also a big, big <laughs> point here. Maybe it's also a situation where Southers has done a better job of developing defensemen. They want to have him as the, the defensive coach for uh, Jamie Drysdale and have him really be, you mentioned uh, development was a big part of his game and a thing that he's really known for. Well, Ducks are kind of going to need that on their blue line as they start to bring in uh, bring in more guys from that co- uh, younger core. The guy, maybe Josh Mahura, if he's still with the Ducks, gets a little well, bit that, more Well, time. that's the thing is that if you look at the developmental aspect for the Ducks on the back end the last couple of years, how many guys have really taken steps forwards out of that young group? I mean, Jacob None. Larson has gotten yeah. way worse over the last few years. Um, Josh Mahura, even though we think that he should be closer to being an NHL regular, hasn't taken enough of a step for the coaching staff to fully trust him. And you could go down the list. And so I think that maybe that that was part of the reasoning for that hire. Now you could say the same thing about the forwards is that there's guys who need to develop, but maybe that 
there's more of a finished product up front that there is in the back end. Yeah, I mean, do you think um, DB Lowry brings up a good point? Do you think that because of Sutter leaving, maybe Stuthers is the guy that comes in to be a bit of that same role that that Sutter was supposed to have? But I mean, I guess the difference there is Sutter was not necessarily supposed to interact with the players. He was mm-hmm. more there in an advisor role for Dallas Akins and for Dallas Akins to consult with to kind of provide him a, a knowledge source. And so I don't necessarily see either of these guys a- as being necessarily the replacement to Sutter because Sutter was essentially a level above Dallas and for Dallas to go to for help, not someone working in necessarily conjunction with Dallas Akins. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good point. And I think that you do definitely, I think that they are aiming, it seems, for that good cop, bad cop mm-hmm. dynamic, which isn't the worst in the world. Like, that's not necessarily a bad idea. The lack of an any of a full-on NHL track record for Southers is a little, is a little concerning. But at the same time, it seems like enough people are high on him. And at the end of the day, yeah, he's it's an assistant coach. It's not like, it's not like uh, this it's not like you're bringing in an, an, an NHL head coach who's mostly been an AHL head coach. Oh wait, the ducks did that. Yeah. <laughs> and you see how it's turned out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to say, Oh, this is a, a bad or a great hire. It just seems like it's a fine hire for now. The one thing I guess I will say on Stuthers is his Ontario rain team. And especially including the Manchester Monarch teams, they were all very, very good teams. And yeah. like, we don't have a whole uh, a whole lot of advanced metrics for the AHL, but there were some back then. And I remember always seeing some stuff uh, about the Ontario Reign being just essentially dominant in puck possession or in uh, shot metrics, uh, different things like that that you could basically follow. And so I guess maybe that's a good sign that he's a guy that really kind of puts a team in a good spot there. I mean, how much this is something I hadn't really thought of until right now, basically. How much of this do you think has to do with Jeff Solomon? Do you think he had any part in, in Stellar's getting hired? Because, I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, you can make a direct connection between uh, Solomon coming over from the Kings organization and about a month, uh, not even a month probably, uh, later the Ducks hire the former uh, head coach of the AHL team for the Kings. And so it, I feel like there possible. might have been some say. It's possible, but then also Daryl Sutter came over to the Ducks. True. Fair point. So, so who knows there, but it's yeah. possible. Um, I mean, just connecting dots, basically. I think I think that the whole the whole point here with these hires is that, and if you're reading between the lines with Bob Murray, is that they want guys who can help Dallas Akins carry the load with the locker room with the players, someone who can be more of a voice, and so mm-hmm. that they, they don't have to lean on Dallas so hard, and he can be more of that. He can be more of that kind of players coach that we've thought he could be as opposed to having to be everything for the team. Yeah. And so I th- we'll see. I think overall, these are good hires. I, yeah, I, I mean, think I think that's overall, a good way to like, it. Overall, like, it can't hurt to try something different. Mm-hmm. Even if maybe on its face with, with some research, it doesn't seem like that huge of an upgrade. No. You got to consider what you're coming from. And Mark Morrison... I mean, the fact that there were specific mm-hmm. quotes in the postseason uh, press conference from Bob Murray... Where, where he was talking about, it was either him or Dallas Akins or someone mentioning that essentially the power play had to be given to Dallas Akins and they took yeah. it away from Morrison. Like, no, that, that was is Murray. not, that was Murray. So that's not a good sign for, for someone when that happens. So when you are essentially going to be freeing up Dallas Akins to not do that anymore, that's a good thing overall, I think, for the franchise. If you're trying to kind of put this uh, into a perspective of good or bad for the team next season in terms of the on ice product. I think that this is a good thing for the ducks for next season, just because of that. It's almost like addition by subtraction. 
Yeah, I mean, they have guys with stronger track records, no doubt, now at the assistant coaching positions. And they've gotten rid of guys who have bad track records now at the NHL level. So it, it would seem to be logically an upgrade. Yep. So, I mean, a lot of our next questions. So let's just really quickly jump into this before we even get into questions. So for those of you that don't know, this is going to be a very heavy Q&A podcast. I mean, we're kind of in that weird spot where the playoffs are going on. There's not really news to talk about. So it's going to be heavy Q&A. But before we do that, a lot of our questions are going to be about this. So it was put out there this week by Elliot Friedman. It was also confirmed by Darren Drager, I I believe. And Drager has direct ties to the Ducks organization. I think he's in some ways related uh, to... um, I am now spacing on the guy on the assistant general manager's name. Uh, who there we go, Dave Nonis. I don't mm-hmm. know, forgetting names right now. But uh, Dave, he is a somewhat relative of Dave Nonis. I remember that was a thing when Toronto Nonis was in Toronto. But Darren Drager uh, tweeted out a similar thing that the Ducks are definitely in on Jack Eichel um, and pushing hard on him. Um, Elliot Friedman could not confirm if. Jamie Drysdale or Trevor Zegras were in the deal. And all that he would really say is that they were not in the deal uh, that the ducks were trying to get done for Pierre-Luc Dubois. The other kind of news is it's kind of iffy on whether or not the Kings are in on Jack Eichel. You you have John Hoven tweeting or reporting that the Kings are saying they are not in on him. They are not talking to Buffalo about him. And then you have Friedman kind of saying, eh, they might be in on him and they might be pushing and they might be pushing out some false narratives there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. And I think before even getting into the merits of the Eichel discussion, which we've already done in the past, but now I feel like we have to keep going because yeah. it's only, it's only well, heating up. And I think my opinion has kind of changed on it a little bit the more I've thought about this and more. Honestly, after we did our top 10, uh, we had our Patreon episode where we did the top 10 players in the NHL for each of our, or made a list for each of us. And after that, I realized just how good Eichel was. Yeah. Well, so I think just kind of the, the top line takeaway out, outside of just, like I was saying, the, the actual merits of the decision is just that I think it's healthy for the Ducks to be this aggressive because if this is a team that wants to get back into contention quickly, you have this opportunity to do it with Jack Eichel on a guy who is locked up long term. Yes, there are injury concerns, but he is a guy who can get you back in on the fast track. And so... And I don't think it's a bad gamble to make. I know that a lot of people are howling about the injury, are howling about the the, I guess the the backlash in Buffalo and and how that's kind of fell out over there. But overall, I think that this is a good this is a good avenue for the Ducks to be exploring because getting a first line center in his prime years when he's already locked up long term, that's kind of an ideal scenario to turn things around quickly. Well, and so this is one thing on Eichel that I think is is fascinating for the Ducks. And this is one thing that I've kind of said or I've kind of thought through on this a little bit. So first off, Eichel is extremely, extremely good offensively. Um, Previous seasons, just per kind of player card stuff, he's uh, in the like 99 to 100th percentile in terms of offense. And this season, it took a massive nosedive for him, partially probably due to the injury, partially due to shooting talent around him. The interesting thing is defensively, he was a bit suspect prior to this this season, and he saw his defensive game actually jump up into the 100th percentile 
per uh, wins above replacement. So if he just gets into a situation where he's comfortable again and can produce like he did, he will become, I think, easily a top 10 a top ten uh, player in the entire league, potentially top five even. If he's able to be in the 100th percentile in both offense and defense, this is a rare type of talent that you don't really have the opportunity to get that often. And so... I think that kind of having said that, the one kind of question mark that I would have is that he is going to be 25 years old. So he's entering his prime. He can probably score at his prime level until he's about 30, right? I, I think mm-hmm. we would agree about 30 is when he would start to drop off. So you get about five seasons of his prime. How many of those do you think the Ducks are going to be legitimate contenders for? Maybe two or three. So at, at it, most. So I think that that is the conversation you need to have of, is it worth giving up what we're going to give up for essentially three years of Eichel in our prime contending window? Yeah. And, and I think that the big thing that's really changed my opinion on this is his contract. Mm-hmm. Because Eichel is locked up for five more seasons at $10 million apiece. His contract expires when he's 30. You're going to get those five years. And so not only are you going to get those three year, two to three years of in your contending window, these next two seasons, I think it actually will be very important to bring Eichel in because even though you're not contending, I think it will be very important for the Ducks fan base to have something to be excited about. And so I think if you're looking at this from the perspective of selling the game, selling the sport, selling the team, bringing in Eichel is uh, important for that. And let's just say after those five years, you want to move on, you can. And so I think you really need to be looking at what you're willing to give up. And I think from that perspective, I would try my best not to um, not to give up Zegers at all. I think that that is a non... He's that, the only untouchable to me in this yes, whole discussion. I would agree with that. I would try my best to not give up Drysdale also, but Drysdale is in it the might, conversation for me. He might have to. I, if, so, but kind of circling back to kind of my whole point on this is the conversation that you need to be having is... Is it worth these? Is what we're giving up worth Eichel for five years, basically? Because mm-hmm. that's how long he has on his contract. He could leave after those five years. Is it worth it? My opinion, initially, about maybe, I don't know, a month or two ago when these rumors started popping up, I originally was like, no, it doesn't. The Ducks should be really trying to build around the core of Zegers and Drysdale, really focusing on that 20 to 21 year old age group. But here's the kicker with that and where my opinion has changed. You don't get the opportunity to acquire a, a guy with the talent of Eichel that often, especially with a potentially lower trade value than he should have because of various different things within the organization. With this potential injury, you could maybe uh, lower the trade value slightly on him. And so even if that's not the case, even if the value is where it's at, even if I'm I'm reading the, the situation wrong, the opportunity to acquire a guy like that doesn't come about that often. And so if you have the ability to get a guy like this, at entering his prime he is entering his prime right now this is a guy that is going to be a point per game player he could be your essentially the best player the most skilled player in ducks history and entering his prime right now you have to go in all in on it you have to try your best if he was 27 28 i wouldn't no because that that's two years of him but you're getting five years of him and you're not only getting those five years where you're going to have some of the contending window you're going to have him now to get some butts in the seats you're also giving, getting him to almost protect Zegris a little bit and insulate Zegris a little bit where Zegris now doesn't have to get the hardest matchups. And so that allows him to thrive. And so you're not only getting this guy to help your team out now, you're getting him to put Zegris in better positions to succeed also. 
because as we start to really push in and see Zegras build this bigger role, get this bigger role, teams are going to start keying in on him. And we started seeing that near the end of the season when Zegras was the center. It was clear that he was the most offensively talented player on the team. And so you're putting him in a better spot where who do you who do you target? Who do you go after between those two? So that that's all kind of one part of this discussion. But the other part of this discussion that I think is critical is there have to be other moves made still. You can't just get Eichel and expect the team to be a playoff contender again. This team needs other moves made still. They need to reset the entire roster because you can't just insert Eichel to this team and then they're all of a sudden going to be fixed because that's not how it works because the Ducks are going to have to trade out something. In my opinion, and we'll get into trade tra- uh, trade value, different things like that a little bit more, it's going to take potentially something along the lines of third overall plus Comtois plus maybe Adam Henrique at 50% retained, plus maybe like an Isaac Lundestrom. That might be light. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out if that feels right or not. But kind of that's a perspective of you're losing these guys that are all on your roster for this one player. So that one player is not necessarily going to help you out significantly right now. You need to start resetting your roster in addition to that. So to make sure Ricard Raquel, he's not going to leave. He could leave next summer. Trade him for younger talent. Same thing with the defense. Trade them all for younger talent. Essentially, bring in guys to essentially come in with Eichel and start resetting the roster around Eichel and Zegris. And that's what kind of needs to be done if you're going to make this move. Yeah. No, I think that that's all 100% on point. And I think that what what does what I am curious about is are the Ducks targeting Eichel with the mindset of we bring in Eichel we keep everything else together and we're a playoff team again. I think that's their thought right now. Yes. Or is it about, are we turning the page? Are we creating a new identity for this franchise? Because to me, the, the combination alone of Zegras and Eichel down the middle should be very exciting and should be something that you can build around. Because if we, if we assume that Zegras can become a legitimate top end center in the NHL, and that Eichel is already there, and that you have them for the next five years, those two in their best years, that could be fireworks. You could have a you could have one of the most exciting teams in the league, and not just exciting, but potentially very good if you can manage to hold on to like Drysdale and continue to build around them. But if they simply move out a bunch of pieces to get Eichel and inject him into this current core, which we've seen how that's gone, this core the last few years, I don't know how... I think that they are obviously much closer to being in the playoffs. Like I think they, I, I no think if you, so. I think if you add Eichel, they could be in the playoffs next year. I think yeah, they could. I mean, very clearly their ceiling goes way up. But, but is this the is this the core you want to invest in? I mean, look at what happened to St. Louis in the first round of the playoffs. That would be what the Ducks would be next season, essentially. Maybe. I mean, the the thing with the Ducks is that it to me it's all dependent on how much better Zegers gets next season. Zegers and Drysdale get next season. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I really, it's definitely going to be curious to see how all this plays out. I think also, I mean, this is an interesting part of the conversation. Do you think getting Eichel changes things with, because let's say not the only, it's not the only reason why you and I are saying to move on from Raquel Manson Lindholm. It, it, their contract is not the only reason why, um, but it's mainly a value thing from you and I. It's a resetting of the roster. It's everything kind of along those lines. And you and I both agree on this, that they probably, if they're going to resign one of those, it should be Lindholm. But he's also probably the least likely to resign because of uh, he's going to really push to get what he uh, should get in the market value or, mar- or what his market value is. 
So where I'm going with this is, do you think Eichel makes it more likely that a guy like Lindholm would re-sign with Anaheim? Well, yeah. I mean, I think just intuitively, I think that if you have an Eichel around and assuming that everything goes well, they want to be a part of that. And Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you have a reason to stay because for the pending free agents like Raquel Manson and Mm -hmm. Lindholm, what is there to really, what's pushing you to stay right now? outside of just this idea of unfinished business and that you want to turn things around here in Anaheim. I think that for the most part, if you want to go maximize your salary and you want to go maximize your opportunity at winning the Stanley Cup, it's probably not in Anaheim in the next year. But Eichel could change that for them, for at least one of those guys. Yeah, yep, definitely. So let's actually get into a word from our sponsor, and then we'll we'll start getting into some questions because a lot of them were about Eichel, so... I figured yeah. unless you do you have anything else you want to add before we get into the qu- no, some questions. No, I mean there will be more there will definitely be more opportunities to talk about Jack Eichel this summer. Yes. So, uh this podcast is brought to you by Green Chef. So, Green Chef lets you choose from a wide uh, array of easy to follow recipes perfect for keto, paleo and plant-powered diets or even if you just want to eat in a more balanced way. And their expert chefs design flavorful recipes that go way beyond ordinary for a uh, diverse array of meal plans and plenty of options uh, to choose from each week. They make leading a healthier life easier than ever with satisfying home-cooked dinners with options that work around your lifestyle, not the other way. And everything is handpicked, featuring organic veggies and high-quality proteins delivered to your door in uh, pre-measured and mostly prepped in insulated packaging. And Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So you feel great about what you're eating and how it got to your table. So Green Chef is, is a really, really cool product, a really cool company, where they've actually been nice enough to send both Felix and I a couple meals, be able to test, different things like that. And... I really, I've been eating healthy outside of this past week um, for the past couple of months. And so it really was perfect for for me. It gave you kind of everything laid out. It gave you the calories, gave you the macronutrients. It was really, really awesome from that perspective. And everything was laid out in a really easy way to follow. I feel like I've dealt with so many recipes over the past uh, where I find them just online. I'm going through and it's kind of, there are things hidden. Things don't end up working out right. And Green Chef does a great job of just laying out everything, putting uh, essentially what parts you have in the meal kit. There's other things like olive oil that kind of you just have already, and they tell you use a tablespoon of it. And it's really nicely laid out, really nicely kind of put together, and it's really easy to follow. And the other thing is they're delicious. Like I think that's the the biggest part about something like this is you want to eat healthy, but you also want it to taste good. And that's kind of how this is. And the meals are just absolutely fantastic. Um, they're, they're just delicious. Um, my wife has loved them. This is her favorite sponsor that we've had because the meals are just absolutely fantastic. And we've actually kept all of the meals, um, the meal cards they gave us so that we can recreate these meals. And so they're easy to follow, easy to use. Um, you can reuse them over time. So, um, if you want to help out, if you want to uh, try out Green Chef, go to greenchef.com slash 90CTP and use the code 90CTP to get $90 off, including free shipping. And so that's once again, greenchef.com slash 90CTP, like 90 and crash the pond, and use the code 90CTP to get $90 off, including free shipping. So Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. Thank you so much, Green Chef, for supporting the show. 
Okay, well, let's uh, let's jump into these questions. So, like you were talking about before the break, we have a lot of Eichel questions, and I feel like it was important to preface those questions with uh, what what our thoughts are on this whole process. Yep. I will say that just like definitely over the last couple of weeks, my thought process has definitely started to lean towards making the big move for Eichel. Yep. Whereas in the very beginning, I was a lot more in the camp of, you know, it doesn't make sense. The Ducks are, I, are far away. And th- there is still merit to that. The Ducks are not yes. a, a Jack Eichel away, as you were saying. They're not a Jack Eichel away from being contenders. But getting Jack Eichel changes the outlook of the yeah. next three and, years. And one thing I do want to address, because it's something people have brought, I think it's a valid point of, from an, from Eichel's perspective, what's the difference uh, between being in Anaheim and being in Buffalo? Because he wants out of Buffalo for a reason, because he's sick of losing. But I think there's probably more to it, honestly, there. Obviously, we, we've heard a lot of uh, a lot of things coming out of Buffalo. That a big thing is kind of the discrepancy between the way he views his injury and the way the organization does. And it sounds as if there's just a really big disconnect between him and the organization as a whole, where it doesn't sound as much to me that it's just a winning thing. It sounds as much or more to me like he just wants out of that organization to somewhere new and have a fresh start, whether it's on a team that is ready to win now or maybe needs a year or two. But obviously, I think the team needs a plan, but he just wants out. And I mean, really quickly, let's just touch on that injury because that's one thing that is part of the conversation. It's, um, a, it's a huge part for a lot of people. Yeah. There was a really good article uh, uh, put out by the SB Nation blog for the Sabres. I think Die by the Blade is the name of it. Uh, basically kind of detailing the kind of procedure for this. And I believe it's a herniated disc in his neck is the injury. And basically kind of saying, yes, there is a risk, but it's maybe like a 5% risk that something would happen. And there's a lingering effect on the rest of his career, which is no different than a a knee surgery or a hip surgery. It's no different than any of a normal surgery that a player could get in their mid to uh, mid to early twenties. And so while yes, there is a concern there and he could be out for six months. I don't think the concern is that warranted in terms of long-term impact on the player. There could be that. And so maybe there is a little bit of buyer beware there, but it's just not enough of a concern to me to really scare me off from this deal. I think the potential impact that he can have, the the kind of skill level he has. Like I said, he could be the highest, the most skilled player the Ducks have ever had if they get I mean, I mean he'd be way up there. I, I don't know. I mean, Paul Correa to me is still yep, he'd number be up, one. He'd be up there with Correa, with Solani, with Getzloff, with all those guys. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I, and it's, I think it's unfortunate because a lot of people around the league that, that don't watch him on a nightly basis, Buffalo don't view him that way because there is a bit of a, of a stain there with how bad the Sabres have been with some of his own reactions, some of his own demeanor in his interviews, you know, especially at the end of seasons. But if you just are judging him on how he's played, he is one of the very best players in the NHL. And it's important not to get caught up in the narrative of everything that's surrounded the Buffalo Sabres. Yep. Because that, I think a lot of that has been outside of his control. Yep, definitely. All right, so let's get into these questions. So let's just, the, the Eichel ones, let's just kind of try to hit them quick. Some of them are simpler, some of them are not. Um, Moosestock93 asks, will the Ducks get Jack Eichel? Very, <laughs> very, very to the point. Do you I'm think gonna the Ducks say get yes. him? I'm going to say yes. I, I think that where there's smoke, there's fire. And this is probably going to age horribly, but I don't know. Like the Ducks name... Their name isn't usually out there if they're not like being such a tight-lipped organization, being so secretive. 
always avoiding the spotlight. The fact that they're so publicly in on this, I just think that there has to be something there. Maybe I'm just being mm-hmm. naive. Maybe I'm foolish, but I think that the Ducks are going to, they have a solid offer. If it's true that the Kings are out, then that's another team that they don't have to compete with. And so I'm going to go with, yes, give me the Zegro, the Zegras Eichel era. Let's get yeah, it going. And I think the one thing the Ducks have going for them, this is also something that uh, Friedman reported, is that supposedly the Sabres really do value this draft highly. And so Great. with that with that being the case, third overall is a very high pick. Yeah. And I yeah, mean, that is that is higher than either Drysdale was drafted or Zegras was drafted. So yeah. kind of I think a lot of people kind of when I've been throwing out there my, my trade perspectives, they're like, it can't happen without Zegras or Drysdale. I'm like, well, from the perspective of this is a third overall pick and the Sabres really do value this draft like that is a higher value player than mm-hmm. Zegers or Drysdale in that perspective. I mean, maybe they don't view it that way. Maybe I'm overstepping there a bit, which is possible. But yeah. third overall is not anything to scoff at. It's not just saying first overall, a uh, first round pick. This is a third overall pick, which is well, very different. for them, the combination of one and three Correct. is big. And so I, I think when you see like Byron Bader put out a, a tweet that said it would take a first round pick, A-level prospect, plus a roster player, I think that changes, that conversation changes slightly because of, where the first round pick for the ducks is is the a level prospect considered the third overall pick now mm-hmm. is the like where does the, the line changes depending on where that pick is third overall is not the same as if it's a team giving up 10th or 15th overall yeah. in that situation and so i i think that the fact that it's third overall really does help the ducks case here and really pushes them in this conversation and yeah. i think that that's a key thing here so yeah. And and the big thing that's changed for me in all of this is just the idea of having Jack Eichel. Yes, it is, of course, difficult to say goodbye to prospects that you have grown fond of, like a Max Contois or Picks or, you know, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, to me, the idea of having Eichel and Zegers down the middle is just so tantalizing because Eichel, if Zegers can actually become a first-line center then you have essentially two first-line centers for five years. Yeah, Silver Shrouded has a good point. The A-level prospect should be the third overall pick in a first round. The first round pick could be a player like Perot or even like a Lundstrom or a Comtois. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's... Right. But, but I mean, there's many people that said, well, what if you move out those guys? You don't have anyone for Eichel or Zegers to play with. The thought process here is Eichel or Zegers can elevate talent around them. And we right. saw that with Getzloff for years of elevating guys around him. Obviously, he had Corey Perry with him for a lot of the time. But elevating guys like Pat Maroon, like Devontae Smith-Pelly, kind of really elevating these guys around him. And so uh, I think the the thought process there is Jack Eichel is that same skill level. And so you would would hope that basically you put him with kind of anyone and he's able to turn them into a bit of a goal scorer. You you add Troy Terry on his wing. You add a Jacob Perot on his wing. You add whatever you're able to get or wh- whether you sign someone, all these different kind of options that you have. And so... Yeah. Um, it, will, it will be a big price tag if they do land him. Like yep. This will be a very significant trade, but I think yep. the upside is very much there. Alex Khalifa at, at Good Guy in Sports, who used to write with us at Anaheim Calling, said, obviously the price matters, but is trading for Eichel worth the risk when you consider his health questions and the state of the Ducks roster? Uh, I think we've pretty much answered this already, but yep. I, th- I think the answer is yes. I think that, yeah, there are risks and there's a price, but at the end of the day, pulling the trigger on this elevates your ceiling in a way that there's just no other way to really guarantee it. Because even if the ducks are bad again next year, they might not get that first overall pick. They might not get that second overall pick. And so getting an Eichel kind of just cuts through all that uncertainty. 
and gives you that base, gives you that foundation to then build your roster. Yep, agreed. Um, at Kyle Parent said, how soon until the Ducks get new uniforms? I'm so ready for something different. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say not very soon. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think they go to the orange jersey as the home soon. I could see that happening, but I don't see like the call. Like I don't see them going back to eggplant and jade anytime. No, soon. I, I don't either. But I could yeah. see the the orange becoming the the home soon. Mm-hmm. Um, good friend John Broadbent, defend the nest said, uh, "Why do you think or who do you think wins the Stanley Cup now? What lessons will the league and teams try to take and copy from it?" This is an interesting conversation, one that I've been thinking about with kind of who I want to win the cup. I think obviously for me first would be Montreal just because I think for you as, as your friend, I would like to see them win for you and Corey Perry also. Yeah. And, and and so I think from that perspective, I would like that. I think that probably if I'm going to pick someone, it would be Tampa. Um, I think they're probably the favorite at this point to win it all, but lessons that's where I, I struggle with because I, I don't want the Islanders or Montreal to necessarily win because from a copycat perspective in the league, it's not the most entertaining brand of hockey. And so if you're looking at this from a copycat league perspective, having a team like Colorado or Toronto winning would have been the best case scenario. So I think that maybe if it is like an Islanders Montreal final, we're going to see teams start loading up on bigger defensemen again. Yeah. I mean, that's, that could be true. I think that the lesson for me of the final four is that these are all really deep teams for Montreal, Vegas, Tampa, maybe, I mean, Tampa might have the least amount of depth when you look at like their blue line, but Islanders are the same teams that have depth forward blue line in, in the case of Vegas in net. And that to me is the big takeaway is that the top heavy models that are actually really the only top heavy team Toronto got bounced early because they sustained one injury and that really threw off a good amount of their roster balance. And so the teams that have that depth that have that ability to spread the wealth are the ones that are benefiting. And yeah, the Canadians, I don't know if they're necessarily a model that you want to build around, even if they win the whole thing, but they are showing that a deep blue line, uh, a blue line with options, guys that you can, that you can throw into the mix that can serve different roles. And up front, they have a nice mix of youth, right? Cole Caulfield as a teenager is already showing that he's a legit NHL forward. Nick Suzuki, Jesperi Kotkaniemi has had his moments. You're seeing that, and then they have their veterans as well. You're seeing that that balance and that depth can really be an asset at this time of year. And so to me, that is probably the biggest takeaway because I don't really see teams going to the big defensemen. Like, I don't see that being the, the, the takeaway because even with the Islanders, their defensemen, their best defensemen are, are solid puck-moving guys as well. They're not just big brutes that are going to cross check in front of the net. Um, and with Tampa Bay, of course, everyone talks about Victor Hedman. And then with Vegas, you have Alex Petrangelo, who's really just, he's an offensive defenseman and Shea Theodore extremely mobile. So I don't really see it quite going the way you're saying, but I do think that the lesson will just be that you need a very deep team to win. Well, yeah. And I think the other thing, maybe if you want to look at Montreal, I mean, taking this to kind of the ducks perspective, taking risk on trades, I mean, Bergevin, for all of his detractors, has not been afraid to make trades both good and bad. I mean, Duran for for Sergachev does not look great in hindsight. But, I mean, Weber for for Subban at the time looked awful. Looks awesome now. Looks very good. I mean, 
Pacioretty for uh, for Suzuki plus looks great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Tatar, like, who inexplicably is not playing, but yeah. yeah. But so like essentially like making these trades. Well, yes, the the or well, yes, it might not be great from the perspective of playstyle. From the perspective of building a team, Montreal is a team that you would want to follow with that. Right, and I mean, you could say the same thing with Vegas. I mean, yeah. talk about aggressive with trading. Yeah, there, there's been no more of an aggressive team than them the last with signing, with trading, with everything. They they go for it. Yep, and, they go I for mean, it. They built around their initial success. They kept the main guys that helped them get there. You know, with the with the misfits line of Carlson, Smith, and Marcheseau. But then they built around them and pushed them down the mm-hmm. lineup. And then with with the Islanders are probably the most interesting case study because they don't have really the huge star talent. They're just. Mm-mm. They've just got this very interesting, and they haven't setup. necessarily made smart moves either. I mean, no. trading trading away Devontae or Devontae's or Devon Taves, not a great deal. Yeah, like, exactly. But they they have they had backup. They had guys that are very good, and they have a very good coach. <laughs> Hire good coaches is the takeaway, I guess. Yeah, true for true. for the Islanders. Yeah. yeah. Um, so our good friend George uh, said at the GC Ducks fan said with Martinez hitting UFA this summer. What will be the asking price, and will it be too much for Anaheim? So, Martinez? Yeah, Alec Martinez. So just here kind of for you uh, from Evolving Wild, their contract projections. I had this all keyed up because I knew this question was coming soon. Um, so their predicted term is four years at $5.84 million. Stay away. Stay mm-hmm. away for a 30, 34-year-old defenseman. Yeah. No, for the Ducks, it would make absolutely no sense to go for Alec Martinez. Yep, even if he like he has played better of late, thirty four year old defenseman on a four year term, stay away, stay away completely, stay away. At, like the Shattenkirk deal, I was fine with, and I'm still fine with because he's being paid under four mil. Mm-hmm. Like if that was up around five, five point five, that's where I would have an issue with it. Yeah. Um. So let me run you through these moves. So this comes from Kyle Perrant, who has had a couple different things, but he says I just want to see some action this off season and took a screenshot of essentially a projected roster for the ducks next year. <laughs> and he basically took the, the text that I sent you that you decided to uh, quote to, or screenshot and tweet out of essentially resetting the ducks roster and took that a whole another level. Further. Oh yeah. He, he went insane with it. I love it. it. Let, let's just run through it. So this is a complete reset for the ducks. <laughs> One of them I don't necessarily agree with is, so he has the Ducks signing Frederick Anderson to uh, five mo- And there's a reason for this. $5 million a year contract at three years, uh, three-year term for it. David Savard at one year, 6.5 mil. Nick Felino at one year, 6.75 mil. One year of Ryan Getzloff at 5.75 mil. Let me double check that I'm, I'm, I'm reading these. Yep, those are all uh, correct. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that that was right because those seem very high, and I would be surprised if any of them get even that high. But yeah. the trades are the fun part. <laughs> so he has a trade between the Ducks and Colorado with – uh, the Ducks trading away Derek Grant, John Gibson, Hampus Lindholm, and a 2021 third for Andre Burakovsky, Bowen Byram, and Alex Newhook. He has the Ducks trading for Jack Eichel and giving up Henrique Comtois, Larson, Milano, this year's first, and next year's second. He has the Ducks trading hold Raquel. On, hold on. How do you feel? How would you feel about that if that were the Eichel trade? I would do that. It, so I would be shocked if it would be Henrique at full value. I would have to be, I think, 50% retained. I would still do that. Well, it's like, what are you really giving up there? 
Like, I would uh, so Comtois in the first round pick. Yeah, and here's the thing: some people have really been kind of saying like Comtois is a is a must protect. Here's the issue with that thought process for me: is that well, yes, Comtois I think is probably the best out of that group of players because he's able to put the buck in the back of the net, and that is definitely something of value. You've made the point with uh with Patrick Line that it's a little bit of empty calorie scoring, and while I don't think Comtois scores as much as Line. I think he does bring a little bit more to the table from an offensive perspective than Line does also. But you're losing a guy that basically the thing that he does is score. He doesn't really do a whole lot outside of that necessarily. And so if you bring in a guy that can really set up guys to score and put them in better spots to score, you're going to be able to uh, replace well, that scoring if, talent if, quick. Like, that's the big price for getting an elite first-line center. Well, and also there is a little bit of this of, is Comtois going to be able to repeat that shooting percentage throughout the course of his career? Because yeah. we only have really a couple full seasons. It's very likely that, I mean, look at Ricard Raquel. Everyone thought that he was this elite goal scorer when he was scoring 25 or scoring at 18, 19%. And then the last couple seasons has seen that regression come. And now everyone's like, what happened to him? Well, he wasn't necessarily that high of a scorer. That same type of thing could happen with Comtois. So why not cash in while you can when his value might be a little bit higher than it ever could ever will be? Yeah, that that's where I'm at with it. It's possible that I'm off on that and Comtois maintains this. But if that's what it takes to get Jack Eichel, I think you do that. Yeah. So so I so real quick, I would actually be willing to move next year's first as long as it's protected. Yeah, so you have to <laughs> by that. If the Ducks don't make the playoffs, they keep their pick for 2022. Mm hmm. If they make the playoffs, then they give it up. I think that would be the only way I would do it. So moving through the rest of these, he has uh, the uh, Maple Leafs acquiring Ricard Raquel for Rodion Amirov and a first-round pick. I don't know if you would be able to get both of those for Raquel. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. I think it's one or the other. Manson for Ottawa's first-round pick, which is 10th overall. That yeah, was one that... I threw. That was one I threw out that I got a lot of pushback on. It was something I just kind of threw in quick, where I was looking for a team that might want Manson that is picking somewhat high, so the Ducks could potentially take Jesper Wallstedt with that pick to to have the the goalie replacement long term. Um, but I mean, who knows? It, it all depends on where Ottawa's at. I mean, Ottawa, I think might think they're kind of out of this rebuild with the with their roster. Yeah. I mean, they have. They have their top picks. And, and Pierre, Dor- Pierre Dorian value size. He traded a fourth round pick for Eric Branson. <laughs> it would not shock me if he values Josh Manson highly and would give up a first rounder for him. Yeah. So that's where that's coming from. Shat- uh, Seattle takes Shattenkirk. The Ducks trade Silverberg in a second round pick to the Islanders for Kiefer Bellows. 2021 second round pick from Col- uh, which was Colorado's and 2022 third round pick. The Ducks get Louis Erickson and get a first-round pick for taking on his contract, which is a deal that I absolutely love, by the way. Taking on bad money to get a first, um, and getting Vancouver's first-round pick in 2021, which is like ninth overall. There's no way that happens, I think. But, you know, go for it. And then trading Delorier out. So, real quick, before we move on, the roster would be Felino, Eichel, Terry, first line. Second line, Bellows, Zegris, uh, Burakovsky. Third line of Amirov, Newhook, Volkov. Fourth line of Jones, Getzloff, Steele. Thoughts? Oh, man. I mean, this is a wild forward group. I think that this very much feels like a transition kind of group. Yeah. Like, this isn't what it's going to be long term. But for now, you see how certain guys go and whether or not you can maybe 
flip them at the deadline. I mean, Felino clearly stands out there. Yeah, Felino, but... Felino, and Safard both on one-year deals for. Yeah, but for, but there's, for but there's also definite upside, and that's kind of yeah. what you're shooting for. And then here. defense would be Fowler, Drysdale, Byram, Savard, Mahura, Flurry, and then in goal, Anderson, Stolars. Yeah, I mean, this would be a funky team, but this is kind of what you have to do for the short term. Yeah. If you're going to make all these big moves. I mean, this is kind of where I was at, and this is similar to what I had texted you, honestly. It's a little more trades than what I had, and there are some things like Savard at that hip I wouldn't necessarily do, and I think that that's high, But or, and same thing with Felino. But regardless, the concept here I think is on par, which is resetting the roster. I don't think yeah. the Ducks will do this. I don't think they will move out Gibson, but this is what they should be doing. This is how you reset a team um, or do a, almost like a rebuild on the fly. That is what this is. That is yeah. a rebuild on the fly. Definitely. So I think we spent enough time on that. Anything else you want to add to it? No, I like the creativity. Keep these I, trades coming. <laughs> I do too. I like reading through these to see people's predictions or not predictions, but wants for the off season. I have Salem in here now, uh, meowing a bunch. Uh, Lewis asks, which is better hot or cold weather? And why is it cold weather? Yeah, I agree. It's cold weather. Um, very simple answer. Cold. You can put on a jacket and you're good to go. But what if, what if you can't, what if you can't put on a jacket though? What? Yeah. Then, then you're shit out of luck. But in most circumstances you can put on a jacket (laughs) for that reason. I say hot because there is a temperature in cold where a jacket doesn't help. Well, yeah. I mean, yes, there are, there are definitely levels to this, but I would say that between like extreme hot and extreme cold, I prefer on the colder side just because there's a way out of that. That's or at fair. least there's a, there's more of a way out of that than with the hot. I say that as I'm sweating right now as it it's very warm in this room. Yeah, no, it's it's got to be cold. I just I mean like I take cold showers, so I just prefer cold True. in general. True. You're n- you're not the best person to ask about this. Wow. Um, yeah. But wow. I, I probably go cold. The one thing I do like about hot is I like I'm a beach guy. I like being Well, yeah, beach. I love the summer. Like I love summertime. I love going to the beach. Don't take this as me just being like some cave troll, but that being said, I do love cold weather. Yeah. All right. So Dalton Keys asks, all right, bear with me. This is totally unrealistic. I mean, Dalton, we just ran through Kyle's list, which we both love, <laughs> but it's completely unrealistic. But he's like, I'd like to call this my reality-based dream lineup for next season um, and wants to know what our lineup would look like. So here's his lineup. Silverberg, Eichel, Raquel, Milano, Zegers, Terry, uh, Geth, uh, Bobby Ryan, Ryan Getzloff, Corey Perry, Jones, Lundestrom, Volkov, and then on defense, Lindholm, Manson, Fowler, Hockenpah, Fleury, Drysdale, Gibson. So the return of Yanni Hockenpah. I like how that was the return, not Bobby Ryan or Corey Perry. It was Yanni Hockenpah that Bring got the return. Yanni Hockenpah is the most out of the box thing I've seen on this list. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but what do you think of that? And what would you want your what would the lineup you think for the Ducks look like? Ah, uh, so just among this group of forwards. What do you, like? What's your what do you think about that that list of forwards and that defense? I mean, I think it's definitely closer to being a playoff team than what they had this season mm-hmm. i mean look at the way Corey perry's playing right now in yeah. the playoffs like he still looks like a very effective forward i thought he was maybe the canadians best forward tonight in game four and so you know bobby ryan i think is more definitely more of a nostalgia pickup than he was he was good in detroit this year yeah i, I mean Good might be a little bit of a push. He was good. He was going to get flipped to the deadline for actually something until he got hurt. I don't know. It seems just looking at the stats that that may have been more of a shooting driven. 
thing uh, than possible. like his actual play. I'm just I'm just remembering people saying he was going to be flipped. Yeah, I mean he was. I mean he was 46 percentile in terms of WAR this season. Okay, so fair enough. He was fine, but like Corey Perry, I think is still an effective player, whereas Bobby Ryan might just be more for the hell of it, which is totally fine. Um, and then Sonny Milano is an interesting one because. We just don't know. We don't know what his health status well, is. There's been very little information put out on that, which in typical Ducks fashion, you know, just makes things harder to project. But if he comes back at full strength and he's able to get back to where he was, then yeah, he could definitely be an effective part of a top nine. Jakob Silverberg on the first line with Eichel and Raquel. I don't know how much I love that just because in I mean, theory, it, gives, it gives a shooter. It gives another shooter. In theory, yes, Silverberg should be able to meet that role, but the way he's kind of been declining and his injury issues, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he can handle those kind of minutes anymore playing next to a Jack Eichel. Um, But Milano's Egress Terry could be a lot of fun. And then Jones, Jones, Lundestrom, Volkov is kind of, I think it's it's a a fine fourth fourth line. line. Like it's a fourth line. Yeah, it's it, you don't have Derek Grant there anymore. You don't like it's it's a good thing from that perspective of this is a better fourth line than what the Ducks were rolling out previously. I also want to say something for uh-huh. everybody that's listening on Monday. So on this day, this I just saw this pop up on Twitter the, from the account today in Anaheim Ducks history. So June twenty first, twenty seventeen, the Anaheim Ducks trade Shea Theodore to the Golden Knights. God, why? <laughs> Although, granted, I was the one. I don't think I ever tweeted this, but I just put it in Discord and texted it to you. Though, uh, Jay Fresh has his new war timelines, and so I did a comparison of Montour and Theodore, and it hurts. Yeah, it's not great. It's not. But, yeah, so happy, happy Theodore-versary, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> um, no, looking at this lineup, it's, it, it's funny. It just it looks so much better. Yeah. Then what the I mean, it's funny how once you like actually put a competent fourth line and resets everything, no Derek Grant, it really helps out a lot. The defense and granted, it depends on how Lindholm Manson are, if they are there, um, it, how that kind of works out. I think at the end of the day, the difference I would have in my personal lineup is I wouldn't have Raquel or Manson in there because oh, yeah. they would be gone. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah. So as we keep moving on. Sean, uh, at Sean Siebel said, in, hi- in hindsight, what is one trade you would have made between the Canadians and the Ducks at the deadline? Make it semi-realistic. I've got one, but I'm going to let you go first. I mean, I have an easy one, and it might be the same one you have. Uh, just Raquel for picks. Oh, no, I mean, that wasn't the one that I was going to say, but sure. I mean, watching the Canadians in these playoffs, they would definitely benefit from a Ricard Raquel in their lineup because they kind of they don't really have a ton of wingers that can create offense on their own. And I mean, the fact... It's great that Cole Caulfield is playing as well as he is, but the fact that he's sticking out so much in this lineup isn't the best sign either. And so I think Ricard Raquel would have definitely helped that. The Canadians have so they have a ton of draft picks, and so that would have been an easy flip to me. Now, of course, there are cap complications for Montreal, but that would have been one that I would have liked to see, and I think it would have made sense for both sides. Yeah, the one that I had actually, this actually popped into my head after we... Um... After we did our watch along uh, earlier on in the week for the for game two of Vegas Montreal, but what if Vegas had gotten Ryan Getzloff? Or sorry, not Vegas. What if Montreal had gotten Ryan Getzloff instead yeah, of? Because that Stahl? was actually talked about. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly it's, he was asked to waive his no move clause and he didn't want to to go to Montreal. But what if it? What if it's Ryan Getzloff instead of Eric Stahl on that oh, line? 
Don't say that. That that just makes me depressed. Uh, would you have done Ryan Getzloff for a first? No. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. But I gotta say, I would rather see Ryan Getzloff there than Eric Stahl, even though Eric Stahl had a good game tonight. Um, that would have made a difference for this current team. But so, yeah, a first in round that per- pick for- in that perspective, though, a first round pick would have been worth it because it could have pushed them. It, it would have been. It yeah. could potentially be thirty second overall. That's true. I mean, that's the thing is like it's you hear first and you think, ah, that's not worth it. But you make a good point. And the thing is, Ryan Getzlaff in that role, as opposed to the role he was playing in Anaheim, would have probably been a lot more effective. So, yeah, oh, man, I don't want to think about this. Let's move on. Okay. This is, this is hurting me. Matthew Bernier said, considering the way Perry is playing tonight and this came uh, during the game, can you guys talk about how good he is? So hashtag Perry still good, folks. He was yeah. really good tonight. And and like the thing with him that I love is that he's playing he's playing his heart out. And I don't I don't like to dole out the you know kind of character stuff and the platitudes, but he took a gnarly stick to the face last game. His face just covered in blood. His nose. And is he's jacked. just still out there trying to get it done. Should have been a penalty. And tonight he's got the massive stitches on his face, the gash. And he's out there giving 100%, crashing to the net, battling for pucks down low, below the goal line, just doing everything that you could possibly want. And he's still got some hands around the net, and he's still able to enter the zone. And it's just, I don't know. I'm I'm very impressed by Corey Perry in this in this playoff run. And he's, he's turned me into a fan of his, honestly. Yeah, now you understand why. So we're going to hit three more questions from, from Twitter because uh, we're already over an hour in. And then Twitch, we're going to come to you for questions. So three more, then it's coming to you. So Canadian Ducks fan said, what is better for the Ducks in the long run? Trading for Dubois, assuming that it wouldn't have taken Zegris, or if the Ducks have to give up Zegris for Eichel? I think Dubois without Zegris. Yep. Because um, I really think Zegris is the difference maker in any of these deals, is the fact that you are adding in an established high-end NHL player along with Trevor Zegras, who right now is projecting to be that. That is what makes all the difference for the Ducks. If you remove Trevor Zegras from that equation, the value add gets significantly lower. Yep, definitely. I actually completely agree with that. I don't. I think that adding Dubois would have helped a lot, but yes. I, I think that getting Eichel it helps out a lot more, but not if you give up Zegras. Mm-hmm. I and Heinze brings up Zegers and Drysdale should be untouchable. I think you and I, I'm closer to that boat. You are not with Drysdale. I think that Drysdale should be in the conversation, but his value is very, very high to me. So if you yeah. give up Drysdale in one of these deals, you're not giving up a, a lot of other stuff in addition. Well, to if that. you give up Drysdale to me, you don't give up third overall pick. This you year. don't give up third overall. Yeah, correct. I like think to that, me. To me, it's one of those two. I don't think you give up both uh, third overall and Drysdale or third overall and Zgris. No, I, I think it's no. one of one of the one of those three gets traded, and it's yeah, exactly. I mean, to me again, like Zgris is the only completely untouchable. Yeah. Drysdale, you you, you kind of wince. You don't love to do well, it. And and here's the reason why I think with Drysdale for me is that if you trade Drysdale and you still have third overall, there's essentially guys in the similar exactly. range of Drysdale that you could take. There's and, not and necessarily I, a Zegers replacement at third overall. And there might not even be a Drysdale replacement, but you can get close, I think. Yes. With some of the demon that will be available. Yep, exactly. So Barry Edding asks, uh, if the Ducks get Jack Eichel, how do they build around him? Uh, so he's like, I guess, what else do you think they would have to do after getting him? Well, that's the thing that we've been trying to yep. figure out this whole podcast. And I think 
to me, it allows you to have this blank slate of how do you want to build around these two guys? And I think the key is to really maximize your depth moves is to now you can assume that you don't need these high, high priced wingers on your top six. You can kind of try to shoehorn in guys that are, are good stylistic fits, but might not cost a whole lot. And you can spend a little more on the fringes on your, on your third and fourth line to have a really complete team. Um, that would be one way of approaching it at least. Yep. And then Clark Ducks 2007 Quack basically is kind of asking us, what do you think a realistic trade is for Eichel? Because there's a lot of people on the internet right now. Do you think both... people are, are thinking about this Eichel situation at all? Yeah, j- just a little bit. But there's a lot of people, both from the Ducks perspective and the uh, Sabres perspective, that are coming up with perspective or with, with potential deals. Mm-hmm. Certain people on the Ducks side giving up way too little, saying that Silverberg and something else should be enough and that's it or like a pick. And then people on the Sabres perspective saying that the Ducks need to give up Zegers, Drysdale, and third overall to get Eichel. So obviously there's there's people on both ends of the spectrum, but what do you think a realistic ask is uh, for him? I think it's going to definitely going to take a premium asset. Like it's going to take, assuming that Zegers is off the table, which we don't know if he is because no one's actually confirmed that. It's going to take one of those high-end prospects or that third overall pick an additional pick, a roster player to make this the, the money work, and then a maybe another prospect. Like it's gonna take a pretty significant package um to make this happen. And I think it's gonna if the ducks are gonna pull this off, it's gonna make a lot of ducks fans really question, wow, that's a lot to pay for Jack Eichel. But mm-hmm. I think that that's just the reality well, of this current market. Yeah, I think Byron Bader kind of had a very good way of summarizing it of being a first round pick thir- or a high level, a level prospect plus a roster player. Yeah, and that's like the, that's the starting point. Yeah, and so I think yeah. from the Ducks perspective, I think third overall is kind of a mix of the the A-level prospect and the first round pick, and I think you're able to maybe bring down that prospect level slightly and make it a Comtois or maybe like a Jacob Perot, maybe a Braden Tracy, depending on where they view him. Um, and then the roster player, I think you can maybe, I mean, maybe it has to be Ricard Raquel. If that's the case, then sure. I don't necessarily see that being the guy Buffalo targets mainly because of his contract situation. The fact that he can basically come to what Buffalo you, and leave. What do you but make I, of, what do you make of the murmurs that the ducks are potentially interested in Sam Reinhardt? I honestly don't know enough of here. Let me, let me look up Sam Reinhardt. I mean, he's a good forward. I mean, he's a good forward. He has a bit of a track record of being a good player. And so it's something that I think is interesting. It seems as if he's essentially almost going to be a bit of the runner-up for in the Jack Heichel conversation, essentially just because basically everyone's going to be talking to Buffalo anyways. It feels like Sam Reinhardt's almost a little underrated at this point. Yeah, I mean, he had a really good season. Now I'm kind of looking at some stuff. He was in the 90th percentile in both offense and defense uh, from a shoot, including shooting uh, this past season. Um, from a play driving perspective, let me take a very quick uh, look at this. Um, but it, from a play driving perspective, also uh, 80th percentile. And that's really kind of been the case over the course of his career. And it really was just his 23-year-old season where he took a step back. So I think if you're not able to get Jack Eichel, I think getting a Sam Reinhardt is also a really good... Uh, what, if, what if you managed to make this a mega deal with Reinhardt and Eichel coming back? <laughs> I don't... I don't, I don't know, know what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, the thing is whether or not Reinhardt, that's what a lot of people are asking is whether he can play center or not. Yeah. And if he can play center, then it's kind of, it's not like you're getting Jack Eichel, but you're getting, once again, your number two center. 
you're for a long a time. End, you're getting a high-end NHL forward. Yes. And, and you so, might not have to pay as much. While it may not be as sexy as getting Jack Eichel, I think it would also be very valuable to this Ducks franchise. Well, and he's 25, so he's... Mm-hmm. It's the same same time frame as uh, Eichel. I think isn't he in RFA this summer though? Yeah, that's the only that. issue. Yeah, I don't know what his next contract is going to look like coming out of five point two mil. Yeah, and I'm let's assuming just take he's in for a raise. Very quickly, I want to look at what uh, evolving evolving has been projected at five years at seven mil a year. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the question is, what do the Ducks give up in addition then? Because I mean. Here, here's where I'm at with just Eichel. I think you have to give up like a Henrique at 50% retain because that gets them a guy for further now that can help score. At, and Henrique, for all the detractors of his contract, everything like that, if he's at 50% retain, so he's under $3 million a year. Yeah, that's a steal. That That's an absolute steal. And so I think that that adds a lot of value. And I think one thing that isn't getting talked about enough is cap space. And that cap space does have value. And so if the ducks end up taking on more space than they're giving up, that has some added value in all of this. Even if they're getting the best player out of this, if the ducks are only kind of contributing maybe three to 4 million of cap space to this, and the, they're taking on the 10 mil, like that nets the Sabres, uh, 6 million cap space each year. And so that does have value overall in the long term of things. So that's one thing to really think about. Um, with all that being said, anything else you want to add to that? Nope. So let's get into Twitch Q&A time. So for those of you in the Twitch chat, and I do see some questions from earlier that I'm trying to scroll up to and see, but if you're in the, if you're watching this on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube, go to youtube.com, uh, youtube.com slash cross the pond to find us there. Or if you're listening on your favorite podcast services, we do a live stream of the show each and every time at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. Typically every Sunday, at 8 PM, obviously there is some fluctuation there. Who knows where it's going to go as beer league starts up for us. But, um, if you want to help support the show, you can in a way that's completely free to you. If you have Amazon prime, you get one free Twitch prime sub each and every month. It helps support the show more than you can imagine. You've got special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name, and you do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. So Heinze asked, does looking at at the teams like Toronto Edmonton, who have the guys getting paid 10 plus mil and get knocked out in the first round, worry you about paying someone like Eichel 10 uh, mil, especially with the injury? No, it it absolutely doesn't. I, I don't think that that's the reason Toronto lost. I think the reason they lost is because they weren't able to maximize their their ads on the fringes and so for the ducks if they went out and got a guy at 10 million that that doesn't automatically mean that you're going to have this team that's set up to fail you have yeah. to you have to be smarter on the fringes on the margins mm-hmm. but it doesn't automatically mean that you're screwed well and i've been making this argument i don't know if i've done it on this podcast i don't know we talk so much whether it's text message <laughs> whether who knows where it's at but a, a big thing with having eichel being paid 10 mil right now some people may say why would you pay a guy that's an rfa 10 mil when, when you can strong arm arm him and get him uh, for less because he doesn't have UFA status. Well, the benefit there is it almost helps you not overpay for other guys. Because if you're paying your star guy 10 mil and he's getting paid what he's worth for his prime production years, you're then paying that guy enough. You're not going to overpay your fourth liners, your third liners, because you don't have the cap space for it. And mm-hmm. so you're able to nest, you're able to get more creative with those lower guys and you're not overpaying for a Derek Grant for three years. Because you're not trying to bring in these guys and overpay your depth talent. You're not going to pay guys 30 plus a significant amount of money because you have money tied up. And so it's setting up your roster into more optimal setup from a cap perspective also because your prime age talent is getting paid the most. So, I mean, the one thing that it might do from the long-term perspective is if Eichel's getting paid 10 mil, 
it might make Zegris ask for that same amount if he's uh, producing at the same level once his contract's up. So that's yeah, one but, thing but that, that maybe to look at. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. So kind of like, what are you going to do? Yep. Uh, Ginger Wolf asks, question, how likely is it that Terry is part of a, the Eichel deal? Also, as an aside, I agree with Felix's hot take. We know Bobo is the only GM who still tries to win trades, and the Eichel trade seems like a realistically lopsided deal considering the Sabres positioning and his injury. So that's kind of going back a little bit in this podcast. But do you think it's likely that Terry is a part of this deal? I don't think so. Um, I just – maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but I get the impression that for the – Sabers, it's going to be important to bring in a guy who they can immediately say they can immediately justify adding him. Who's young, also. Yeah, and I think with Contois, it's easier to do that than with yep. Terry. And because I think with that... Terry, a lot of the stuff that he does well isn't quite as obvious from like well, a selling to the fan base perspective. I also think from the perspective of value, Troy Terry doesn't have as much trade value as Max Contois does. And so he's not going to get you as much. If you're looking at this from a value, filling up a bin and and trying to equal what Jack Eichel's value is, Terry Mm -hmm. doesn't do a lot for you in that perspective. Even though we're both very high on him and think he's impactful, he doesn't have the point production that necessarily fills up that trade value bin. That's why you can just say 16 goals in X amount of games. You can say 24 goal pace, and that just gets everybody kind of satisfied. Yep. Yep. Production is an easy thing to look at for, for trade value. Yep. So, uh, Silver Shroud asked my question. It looks like Buffalo might be. This is about Eichel and Reinhardt. Uh, Eichel and Reinhardt this summer with the the former largely overshadowing the latter. But do you guys think that a Reinhardt trade would benefit the Ducks? And what do you think a trade would look like? So we discussed. Yes, it would benefit the Ducks. What do you think Reinhardt by himself would look like in it for a trade? That's a much different question because of his contract status. So obviously, the fact that he's a RFA that does limit his options, but still it's not quite the same as taking on a guy who's already on this deal. I mean, it's probably, I mean, just my understanding of trades, it would probably just be like a roster player and a pick or a prospect or some version of that. I think two pieces would be the most it would take. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe, maybe it's just Comtois and Henrique at 50% retained. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not nearly as much. No. Now you're not getting like, that's the thing is like, I don't want people to view this as saying, well, you got to go for Reinhardt because it's going to be less. Yes, Reinhardt will help the Ducks at a cheaper rate just in terms of the acquisition cost and the the, the cap hit, but he is nowhere near Jack Eichel. No, and he's so, not. I mean, he's a very useful player that's very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's not going to have the impact that... Uh, he's, not uh, a, he's not a potential top 10 NHL player. No, he's not. I mean, he's a good producer. He's a guy... He's going to more so probably be in the range of a prime Adam Henrique. Yeah, uh, a fifty to sixty point guy in his prime. Yeah, and like again, that, and that's, that's useful. a useful player. Yeah, that that's it, a u that is a useful second line center. And if the Ducks got him at the right price, I would I would co sign that move. I would say yes, yeah. that's a smart. Well, move. Well, I mean, here's the thing: he would be the second line center for Trevor Zegers's first line center. Yeah, and and that is important as well. And and you know, Reinhardt does seem to have some good defensive acumen, which is important as well behind Zegers. So. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be like this bad move. I just don't want people to equate that with like getting a discount Eichel. Like it's not that at all. No, it's not. I don't know if I would do both of them. <laughs> well, it would just depend on the price. It would take a lot, and I don't know if I would do that necessarily. Yeah, no, it would take um, a lot, and you're you're really going all in on the Buffalo train at that point. Yeah, and I don't know if I really want to do that. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. So I mean, let's kind of wrap this thing up pretty shortly. I mean, we started late because of Buffalo, Montreal. So let's. 
Buffalo, uh, Montreal. Buffalo, Montreal, Vegas. God, <laughs> my brain is you fried. You got the savers on your brain. Yeah, my brain is fried. Um, let's end with this question. Kind of an interesting one, a little bit of a different one. Um, from DB Lowry, 3507. It's right up your alley. I'm going to go with that. Uh, would you consider making a change at goalie coach given Gibson's recent struggles? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a crazy thing to, to bring up. I am very biased in saying that because I've been saying it all season. <laughs> this is this is why I threw it right at you. I well, applaud he, you for he, bringing it up. He he brings up that I know the Isles co- goalie coach uh, Mitch Corn is getting a lot of ton of praise for his recent work on the island. Yeah, I mean, and Mitch then you Korn also have been getting praise his whole career. Because and then he's... you have Sean Burke joining Montreal and Carey Price kind of having a really good uh, playoff run. Yeah, whether whether that's Sean Burke or Carey Price, who or knows? Just but playoff Price, yeah. yeah. Well, so I do think that there's there may be a tweak that needs to be made there. Maybe not a straight up firing, but if you watch how Gibson has played the last three seasons, it feels like his style has gotten really stagnant. Like there haven't been a lot of adjustments in the way that he moves around the crease, the way that he you know sets up his angles, different things like that. And I think it may be useful to just have a different voice because it seems like the big value add from the perspective of the goalie coach that the Ducks have now, Sudzy, is that he's this kind of really good, like motivational guy, and he's a he really connects with the guys, which has value. But I think you might need someone to come in and say, "Hey, you know, John Gibson, you need there are things you need to change." And that, and I, and I'm not saying that they're not doing that now. I have no way of knowing that, but judging it purely from the the results, it doesn't seem like that's happening. So. Maybe you need a little bit more of a good cop, bad cop dynamic than just mm-hmm. the one guy. Yep, that's fair. Um, oh, sorry. Let's end with this one. Silver Shroud said, question, uh, but not a question. Uh, well, the question is, should the Ducks sign uh, Mike Hoffman as a free agent? And Silver Shroud says they should is basically what he's saying in his question. I I don't really see see that as a good move for the Ducks. Yeah, especially depending on what he's going to need. I mean, granted, he was signed very late this year, so I mean, if it's unless you sign him to flip him at like the deadline or something. I mean, if it's a cheap deal, if it is like legitimately a one year deal, then I'd be go with it. I mean, maybe that's where it's at because he was kind of in and out of the lineup by the end of it with St. Louis, so maybe his value has fallen. But I mean, Evolving Wild has him projected at five years at five point six five. And yeah. at 31 years old, that's not what you want to do. So, I mean, if you can get him at one year for two mil, sure. Like, get him cheap, get him on one year, flip him. Yeah. I mean, that. I mean, even if it's not cheap, I would still do it for a year to flip. But I wouldn't do a, ter- a long-term deal with him, no. uh, ma- mainly 0%. because of age. He's 31 years old. I mean, this is the same conversation that basically has to be had with any free agent is any guy who's UFA is going to be 27-plus and so the issue there is that um, basically any guy that you're signing in this situation, you're probably going to have to overpay for, overpay for both in cap it and in term. And they're they're pri- or they're uh, they don't align with the Ducks' contending window. So mm-hmm. it really is important to kind of look at it from pra- that perspective. That from the way the NHL is set up, it doesn't make sense for the Ducks to go after UFAs right now. No, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> so, yep. Anything else you want to add or want to start wrapping this thing up? Yeah, uh, that's all I've got. Thank you, everybody, for the questions. Thank you for kind of keeping this thing going. As you can see, the, the topics are drying up a little bit. Thankfully, we've got this massive trade rumor going on, which has got yeah. a lot of people excited, understandably so. So thanks, everybody, for for joining in. But I think uh, I think it's time to wrap up. Yep, 
Agreed. So, Felix, you want to let the people know how they can support the show? Yeah. So if you've been enjoying what we're doing here, if you've been enjoying our, our weekly podcast, there's a few ways that you can support us and help this thing keep going. So one of the main ones is at our Patreon page. So patreon.com slash crash the pond. So we have three different tiers there of support, um, monthly pledge ships. So basically for a dollar a month, you get access to our patrons only discord chat, which is a ton of fun, especially this time of year with the with the Stanley Cup playoffs and with just all the different breaking news that happens with the Ducks or surrounding the draft. And now you got the expansion draft, free agency. And so you get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans there. It's a ton of fun. And that's for $1 a month. Now for $5 a month, you also get access to two bonus episodes where we'll do league-wide topics. We'll go further in depth on the Ducks. So our most recent episode, we did top 10 NHL players, which I think has helped us kind of have this conversation about Jack Eichel because we got to review all the top end talents around the league and really kind of decide where we stand on them. So that's for $5 a month. Now for $15 a month, you get access to everything I just talked about. And you also get access to two live watch alongs a month. So for the time being, for the summertime, we're doing uh, viewings for uh, NHL playoff games. So we did Montreal Vegas this last week. That was a ton of fun. But during the regular season for the Ducks, we'll actually do two live broadcasts of a Ducks game, giving you an alternative feed to what you get from your usual commentary team. And we give you more stats, more analysis, just a bit of a different feel. We also give you some good humor as well. I think it's good humor at least. And all of that is at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, if you don't want to spend any money, it's totally fine. You can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is search crash the pond and you can easily do that jake so i don't know if we have any new reviews this week uh no the one that is there what came we read last week so yeah um yep but if you if you do leave a review we will read it on the show and let everybody know because we really do appreciate those and they definitely help grow the show now you can also find us on spotify you can subscribe to us there spotify has gotten a lot better i think for podcasts in in the recent months they've made it easier to follow new episodes so you can definitely check us out there also check us out on youtube youtube.com slash crash the pond you can see the video version of this show you can see both of our live camera feeds as we're discussing this you can see jake's cool backdrop you can see salem the black cat walking through prancing through his his backdrop as well yep and um, running running the show in this household per usual (laughs) yep and that's all at youtube and uh so make sure to subscribe there and turn on your notifications so that you know when our new shows are up you can also find us on social media uh jake is on twitter at reindeer games 91 i'm on twitter at felix underscore sicard and of course at crash the pond and crash the pond.com crash the pond.com or crash the pond.com slash shop you can get cool t-shirts hoodies even there's some serious june gloom going on in Southern California right now. And you know, a little morning hoodie doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt Jake. So go check that out at our website, crash Yep. And I think that's probably, I mean, anything or, Oh, I wanted to add this one thing for the watch along that someone mentioned for next month, maybe depending if people want this or not, we do one watch along for a cup final game. And then one watch along for the Euro 2020 finals. Ooh, I would be down for that. So let us know if you're in the watch long tier, if that's something you would like. 
Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks, everybody, for joining in this week. And we will talk to you a week from now. Have a good one. Bye.